The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Keoghan, Head of Product Development and Production here at Provoke and host of today's episode sponsored by Havas Red. With us today are Carrie Anderson, a UK client partner at Havas Red and Audrey Arbogast, Associate VP of Havas Red US. In today's episode, we'll dive into influencer marketing trends and Havas Red's newest practice group, Sway. Carrie and Audrey, so good to have you with us. Thank you for having us. Um, Very excited to talk about Sway, talk about your roles in both um, the UK and the US and and, um, Havas Red's influencer practice. Um, Audrey, why don't you kick us off with a little intro and about your role and then then Carrie will go to you and, and then we'll kick it off. Perfect. Um, So happy to be here and talking about um, all things influencer. Um, I've been at the agency since 2015. Uh, Interestingly, I was hired as a community manager where essentially my first project was uh, to find influencers posting in and around a coffee client we had at the time, um, their grand openings. So as soon as they were going to open a new location. My goal was to find influencers posting nearby, looking at their feed, seeing what their aesthetic was, and, you know, going into their DMs and asking them if they wanted a free cup of coffee at our uh, grand opening. Um, So I think, needless to say, influencer marketing looked a lot different back then, eight years ago. Uh, And as this marketing channel has evolved and more and more uh, brands of all shapes and sizes are wanting a piece of that pie. Um, I've helped grow and hone our agency's offering for um, both our current and prospective clients. So excited to talk more about what that entails today. Awesome, very glad to have you here. Um, Carrie, a little intro from you perhaps? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for having me, Megan, and Provoke. Uh, yeah, exciting. I think it's going to be an exciting session, um, especially at this time of the year, um, where you know we're looking to twenty twenty four. So that's exciting. Um, so I have got uh, nearly fifteen years of experience, which um, I think in the world of social media is basically like you know I'm really old. <laughs> think in that front um so you know been there through the early days of uh, Instagram I remember going to my colleague and be like what so people just post pictures and other and I was like okay cool um yeah can get on board with that um and yeah like early campaigns I remember literally going through like channels and like people's profile and finding other people they follow and like just spending ages and ages and doing like really manual tasks for like the early days um I would like to think that's a lot more sophisticated now which is great news um for all of us but um yeah I think most recently uh there is such a huge demand for influencer marketing and I think it's really blown up and I actually think that influencer marketing in itself is like grown into these kind of subgroups and things like that so it's it's really blown up um, and people have a much um, better understanding of what it is now uh, than it used to be and I hope that also means the perception of influencers um, are changing which is great news so uh, yeah really excited to 
um, to come forward. Wonderful. Well, you really set us up quite well there to talk about what we're here to talk about today, which is red, um, which is Havas Bread's new practice, Sway, and um, sort of the rollout of that and, and the new introduction. So, um, Audrey, if you would give us just sort of a little background of how this group has started, what the impetus was for it, and, and what it looks like at Havas Red. Yeah, I think as the influencer space, you know, we've both touched on it, has evolved over time. Um, so have our strategies and processes that we develop to ensure that we're staying on top of those trends. And, um, you know, as influencer or content creator has become a full-time profession uh, for many, and, you know, there's full-fledged agencies that represent these creators and platforms to help us find them, um, you know, our ways of working have become a bit more modernized um, and streamlined. And as now a formalized global practice, um, we have formalized processes, influencer agreements, briefing documents, case studies that we can reference, um, shared across our global network um, that just make us a bit more effective and agile when creating and executing these strategies um, or these programs on behalf of our clients. Absolutely. And Carrie, you, I believe, well, I believe both of you are the sort of influence leads in your region um, or in, in your in your particular groups. And so I'm interested to hear a little bit about what um, Sway has looked and felt like and been in the UK. And, and if you can speak to us a little bit about that and that um introduction absolutely um so first of all i think it's it's really exciting i think um sway even though it didn't have a name um it's kind of been an inception for um you know months uh for sure and you know we've been we've been doing influencer marketing for a long time but there hasn't been that kind of focus on it so i think in the uk it's actually a really exciting proposition because there's been so much demand for it and very naturally i found myself um probably doing 80% of influencer marketing now as opposed to other kind of comms tactics that i used to look after even you know things like earned and thing um yeah and other uh, and other kind of channels and um, so I think that is really exciting I think from a team perspective as well there are certain team members who really um put their hand up and said I like this is what I want to do this is what I love doing um and they like love to like rattle off like stats or like you know dig into those trends I think that's what's really exciting about influencer marketing it is it never stands still like um and some of it is a curse, like algorithms changing weekly. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily what we love all the time. No, uh, no Instagram meta, everyone else TikTok. Um, but it definitely keeps things interesting. And you know, you never quite know where the next trend is going to come from because it is so. I mean, we've got something called like Tube Girl in the in the UK. I'm not sure if that's like something that's cotton, like you know, stuck in other markets. Um, but it just it literally just changes so quickly and I think that's what people love um about it and that's why now is a really great time for us to kind of formalize it and put that structure behind it but also making sure that we really use the village 
that we have and that network that we have across the globe to formalize it in other markets because social media is one of those things that absolutely is not um you know in borders like it is very much like someone i i follow lots of american influencers i follow australian influencers i've you know i'm from new zealand i follow influencers from you know back home um so it is really without borders and i think that's why it's so important to have these leads and it's actually great that I can call up Audrey and say, listen, you know, this is a challenge that we've got. Like, have you found something similar? Have you got experience? Have you, have you got a case study uh, um, that you can kind of talk to that we can really help our clients achieve their goals? It sounds yeah, like there um, are some, oh, go ahead. Carrie, oh, I just, you're going to finish probably, Audrey, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to build on what Carrie was saying that you know, this is really the demand for these types of programs has just really skyrocketed. And it's brands of all, as I said, all shapes and sizes. So, you know, working with a nonprofit client and, you know, who's looking at partnering with influencers pro bono versus, you know, huge uh, multinational global uh, consumer products brand, um, you know, those, obviously those strategies look a bit different, but yeah, it's, it's everyone uh, wanting a piece of the pie. <laughs> Absolutely. Is this, you know, like, it seems like part of the, you know, like the tracking and the measurement and and the, you know, the honing of a particular ca- campaign and dialing into the right influencer, it has to have some very tangible business outcomes. And uh, I'm wondering if there are any um, case studies that you are able to talk about or or kind of examples that um, either one of you might be able to share about how Sway has really influenced influenced the outcome of a campaign. <laughs> no pun intended, but I can certainly talk about some of our brands. I probably ca- can't go into um, too much detail on the actual statistics. Um, but from my side, um, we have done a lot um, in different spaces. So as an example, um, the National Health Service um, in the UK, NHS, um, we work with the um, uh, blood and transplants team here. And as an example, last year, um, we worked with quite a few influencers to get messages out around um uh, sickle cell donations and kind of and that was a really exciting and fun one because we got influencers involved with no money um it, because it is NHS in a way it's seen as a as a charity as such as and they wouldn't pay because it's a kind of service so it's different to what we would do for other brands um but we got m- masses of people donating as a result of um those specific influencer pieces and some influencers really really engaged because it's something that was close to their hearts so um from that point of view you could see actual donations and that's something again um we saw also for nhs plasma which is another thing that um kind of another project that we work on and um we worked with some of our footballers um uh from over here in the u.s soccer for the americans um <laughs> So uh, we got a couple of those um, down to actual 
plasma donation centers and meeting some fans and putting it on their socials. Um, and it was the highest ever day of donations that they had seen for plasma, which is still very kind of low, um, low donation kind of group because it's not been in the UK for such a long time. So that's certainly a campaign that stood out for me. Um, but then I also work on uh, the Molson Cause portfolio. Um, so that includes brands such as Cause, um, Madri, uh, which is kind of a Mediterranean uh, lager and super popular here in the UK. And we've done a lot of influencer marketing um, for those brands as well as kind of Cobra. Um, and they're all very different and they're all bespoke. So we never would go and take the same strategy or propose the same influencers. Like they're very distinct. They have their own brand, um, brand people, brand influencers, tone of voice. So it is hugely important that we are quite distinct with those. Um, and we've seen, um, you know, huge shifts in actual kind of brand measures. So one of those tasks for cause, for example, was um, making one of their partnerships with snowbombing more synonymous with cause and what they were doing. And they saw a um, kind of 20% brand uplift in um, recognition of the association, which was a massive win because all we did was influencer marketing for that. Um, so we work with some big names um, such as Sam Thompson and Pete Wiggs that are well known here in the UK. And um, you know, they we kind of gave them a challenge, and then we um, enlisted the help of a uh, an Olympic snowboarder called Jamie Nichols, and he um, he taught them how to snowboard, and neither of them had ever snowboarded before, and it was the funniest it's the funniest <laughs> shoot I've ever been on. It was the hope, most heart wrenching because I I was like, oh my god, <laughs> just literally end in tears. Um, but it got millions of views, and um, you know, really strong uh, engagement rates, great view through rates. And I think when you see those stats, then Pete, like, and I think that's what the attraction is from influencer marketing as well. It's like you can actually see specifics, um, where you can not just in the short term, but even in the long term, like measure some of those things. So as I said, we saw some results in brand uplift studies where we had only done um, influencer marketing. So there was much more, and some of that was also paid for, um, absolutely, which actually now comes part of what we do a lot. It's like it's not a organic only, like there are organics parts to it, but there's also a lot of paid um, that comes into it. Um, but yeah, so I think some really great results there. I don't want to uh, talk too much about the UK. So Audrey, I'm not <laughs> sure if you have, have other ones that you, you'd like to speak to. Yeah, well, I think tangible business impact looks different for every business. Um, you know, for some, uh, it's just that awareness, education piece, uh, consideration. And then for others, it, it really is uh, the conversion and looking at, um, you know, click-throughs and um, those sorts of metrics. Um, but uh, one that comes to mind is a first ever influencer campaign that we um, designed for a healthcare benefits uh, platform or manager. Um, and really with it being their foray into influencer uh, marketing, we designed a campaign that was really around awareness and engagement around HSAs, specifically um, healthcare savings accounts, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in creating that strategy, um, leveraging both a macro influencer as well as a roster of micro influencers, 
because that macro influencer was really going to get us that reach and, you know, a high number of impressions, whereas the micro influencers were brought in to boost that engagement. And what we saw was, uh, you know, not only were the engagements quantitatively on target for what we were aiming for, but the quality was really um, high as well. So questions being asked about healthcare benefits, HSA day, um, open enrollment, so really engaged followers, um, which again, also underscored to our, our client that, you know, we had found the right partners to engage with and had kind of brought them in at these key moments during the year. So um, yeah, I think, you know, success looks different for for every one of our clients. And part of those initial conversation, conversations we have with them is, uh, you know, defining success so that we can help tailor our program around that. So certainly with like tailoring the program, once you've decided that influencers work well, but as we talk about these business outcomes, it can, it could almost seem like influencer is right for every campaign. And um, I know that that is probably not quite the case, but certainly for the majority of these days, what are some of the factors that you sort of look for when deciding whether um, bringing sway into the the programming mix for a client is the right kind of consideration? I think it very much depends on their business and brand and marketing objectives. So I always go back to the basics on that one. I want to understand what the business objective is. Then I want to understand how that brand and marketing objective feeds into that business objective and then how what Sway does can fit into that marketing or brand objective. And I think that's really, really important. Um, And then I also, I actually distinguish between influencers um, and what role they play. Um, So I, so beyond nano, micro, macro, mega, mid, you know, (laughs) all the different tiers um, of influencers. I also look at the type of influencer to put forward. So you've got your big talent, right? So you'd have like your Dow's, Ed Sheeran's, um, I I don't know, like tons of like actors, actresses uh, and so on who um, use social media but very much a, here's a picture. And like lots of people love it because they love that talent. Um, so like Adele will just put up, or like Beyonce, um, she she would literally put up 10 pictures all in a row of like a recent performance. And people love it because people love Beyonce. Um, <laughs> and then that makes sense. But she's got a different appeal, not to mention the cost um, of, you know, <laughs> getting her to do anything uh, would be, um, quite a uh, quite an undertaking for most brands um so that wouldn't ever be kind of a one-off or anything it would be long-term partnerships um but you then also have your influencers who I think or I should also say your kind of talent I think they're great as a mix for earned as well so you kind of couple that appeal and I think that is really really important whereas influencers that are more traditional influencers they're really great at bringing across specific messages that are difficult in other mediums. So um, where you're launching a new product, for example, that's not always of interest to traditional media from an earned perspective. Like 
it's quite hard to get a journalist excited about you know the latest I don't know the latest um design of a you know of a of a product or thing like even if you think like as the marketing like oh it's amazing consumers don't care um most of the time so influencers can be really helpful in getting some of those messages across that are a little bit more brand heavy than what you would ever get away if you had to get a third party to endorse you and then I think you've got content creators so content creators to me are ones where you give them a message or two you want to land and you give them what you're looking to achieve then you hand it over and you say right controls out now like you know here are your guidelines like here are the rules that we have to abide to if you're working in a regulated industry like here are specific messages we have to be very careful like you can't say x or why, because you would go against um, advertising guidelines. Um, but then you hand it over because you trust that what they do is what you bought into. So you're not being as prescriptive because you are you know that they know their followers and they know what works for them. So you get hugely creative pieces of content back, um, but there is trust, a lot of trust that is involved here from a brand perspective. So I think that's almost like what I then look at to also determine what is right, going back to those kind of brand objectives and things like that. And sometimes I will actually say, look, I know that you want to do, you want to work with content creators because it's exciting, it's fun, and you've seen it work for other brands. However, dipping your toe in that way, probably not the best thing to do unless you've got quite a brave marketing team or you've got... um you know, probably not so much blue chip. Like if you're a startup, it's a little bit easier. If you're a smaller business, it's easier. Um, but if you're spending a lot of money on someone and you don't necessarily know what they're going to come back with, that's a leap of faith. And um, yeah, I think that's almost then how I make decisions on sure. who you then recommend. It sounds like um, one of Sway's, strengths is helping a brand just determine or define which influencers might be a good fit, whether or not they're a good fit, all of that. Um, what are some of the other tactics that you are able to leverage in a campaign, whether that's like sourcing the correct influencers or, or finding them out in the wild to like measurement reporting, um, all of that, I understand is like a part of the Sway uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Is, is that, can you speak to any of those um, kind of offerings or or things? Audrey, yeah. if you want to take this one. Yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, you know, end-to-end -end, uh, meeting with the client, discussing the campaign, um, figuring out to Carrie's point, how does it fit within the larger integrated uh, comms strategy? So, you know, what are we uh, doing on the earn side? What are we doing on the social side? Um, influencer to me kind of sits straddles between those two worlds um, and, you know, making sure that it all ladders up to the overarching objective, um, you know, then going into um, you know, the creation of the strategy, the selection of the influencers, um, the vetting of the influencers, um, 
you know, negotiations and contracting, um, which we always like to give ourselves a buffer for, because you just never know how long that that phase will take. Um, and then, you know, going into the feedback and approvals process um, with the clients, you know, getting that content, um, giving it a first uh, level of review um, on behalf of our, our clients and making sure that it does align with the brief and, um, you know, there aren't any blatant uh, errors or messaging uh, little hiccups. Um, and then, of course, sending it to our clients and some of our clients, you know, then need to send it to their legal teams or other stakeholders. Um, and then ideally, everything gets approved and it all goes live. And um, I should have mentioned prior to this, making sure we have a system in place to capture that content and report on it. So, um, you know, fortunately we have a couple of tools that we take advantage of to, um, you know, lever or to help us measure uh, the, the performance on the individual's posts and then, you know, what the campaign is looking like um, overall. Um, and then, you know, the campaign comes to a close. We put together a report. We think about um, some key takeaways and insights for the next time we do it. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's obviously there are nuances for, for the different brands that we're working with and the spaces that they operate in and the type of campaign that we're doing. But um, yeah, I think over time, we've really honed that process um, from you know, the very start to the reporting and, and recap. Um, Carrie, you had brought up an idea um, a little bit ago about like the amount of trust and um, kind of that leap of faith that is required of a brand. And that I'm curious if we can, you know, we've kind of really covered the tactical side of this, right. But um, getting into this space where Havas Red is very, committed to storytelling and people-led narratives. And um, how do you work with a brand? You kind of touched on it when that message or that storytelling lands better when it's organic and when it's not micromanaged. And um, what sort of, sort of levers do you use to keep things brand safe, but also, you know, relinquish that trust to an influencer yeah absolutely um we first of all is knowledge of our client partners um mm -hmm. i think it's like knowing what things make them nervous um and you know where there's room for trial and error and where there's not and how important you know campaigns are i think what i like to adopt um from kind of product marketing product testing is like the a b testing as much as possible like seeing what works seeing what doesn't and from an influence perspective it is difficult because the context is always different so you can't just test like five different ads at the same time like that's not that's not how it works in influencer marketing but you can try different things and that's why i'm quite in favor of um long-term partnerships with um influences where there is a, a strong brand fit um, and I think hopefully most of us have now moved away from using talent for talent um, sake uh, which used to be a theme it's like oh I'll just stick talent on it absolutely not like because these ones are now valuable very valuable 
hopefully long-term partnerships. And I think when you go into the long-term partnerships, that's where you can really look at, um, like in terms of mindset, you can really look at, right, brand fit, audience fit, you know, like um, tone of voice, like, you know, is it something that the legal team will be okay with, things like that. Um, where I work in a lot of like regulators with a lot of regulated industries. Um, God, God, I love it. Um, <laughs> so I'm also very mindful of like talking influencers through those um, regulations because some of those aren't straightforward and some of those are a feeling or a gut feel as opposed to here's the, here's the, you know, black line and you can't stop like over it. Um, so th those are all little things that you consider. And then what I do is I work through the guardrails for the clients and give them like in the briefing process, give them as much control there to really show what they are looking for. And then what we do with influencers actually ask them for concepts. So we usually say, right, can you give us some concepts? And uh, they come with two or three. So there is a there is still a level of control in there, but it is not scripted where we can help it. Um, so that's the thing that lands really well. And I think there are quite a few influencers like, um, you know, Jeremy Lynch is another one um, who's, you know, becoming quite big. Um, you've got like Julius Dane, like you've got quite a few um, that almost make a few of those ad like brand partners their own thing. Um, so they get really great at taking certain things and turning into something that's hugely relevant to people's lives. And like, it's like the meme moment, I call it. It's like, oh my God, yes, like that's me. Like, you know, you kind of want a lot of that and brands aren't very good at that. But then it's almost going back and saying to the brand partners, you really like this because you like this influencer, because you know that they work. Um, and I think people get braver over time when they've seen results um, that speak for themselves. So, and that's what you can go back to. And then the other thing that I always like to do is we always ask for benchmarks of like other campaigns that people have seen that they really like. And then we go and dig a bit deep, deeper and explain what's happened then, what the process is. And sometimes we get the insight from the agents that we work with because we have great relationships with them as well. Um, and sometimes it's just knowledge of like how it works of like, you know, they wouldn't have had this whole scripted and signed off by legal. Like that's just not how they would have done it. Um, so I think that kind of reassures them. And then the more ex experience you have, the more I think comforted clients feel when you put them into those situations. But as I said, like it is a, it is understanding your client. It's knowing when to push and when to back, uh, when to back off. And it's also understanding the importance of their campaign. Like if you've only got 10 days to get it right, then probably don't want to like relinquish control entirely um, because the stakes are too high. But then there are other moments where you can really win and you can test and trial. And then to um, Audrey's point of like, um, you know, insights and learnings for next time. So like we do, every, like for us, it's not a, oh, let's just do the rap report and send it over and like be done with it. It really is, okay, like, this is this very specific thing. Should we do, um, you know, collab posts next time? Like, you know, do we think that impacted rate, um, engagement rate? Like, you know, what what was it the time of day? Like, do we think that it wasn't the same, like the right frame for them to be into? 
and get it live. Um, so yeah, so I think hopefully that answers your question. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Um, I want to shift just a, a slight bit from um, specifically to influencers, but speaking about people-led storytelling, um, the shift from storytelling to fact-telling, influencers feel like the ultimate kind of case study for people-led storytelling and um, shifting that. And what are some of the other ways that you are starting to see this people-led storytelling kind of come to life, um, whether that's kind of the amplification around an influencer campaign or if that's a completely different tactic that you're building in? Is that something that either of you can speak to? Yeah, I think this is something um, we see resonating across all marketing channels um, on social media. For example, I just think of the crazy adoption of TikTok and how that has really taken off. And, you know, brands can publish those polished pieces of content to that platform. But we know that, you know, what really does best and what TikTok was designed to do is share content from real people doing real things, um, you know, including silly dances and uh, hair tutorials and cooking videos and all the other things, uh, you know, you find in your in your TikTok feed. Um, and on Instagram, of course, it's, it's following a similar trend. I think, um, you know, that platform has really incentivized people to start publishing reels and, um, you know, those reels don't necessarily need to be people led storytelling, but again, we know that those long term, long form video pieces um, of content do do really well. Um, so I think, you know, people crave the human connection and, um, you know, that that buzzword that we keep hearing about authenticity and, um, you know, they are seeking that out on all different kinds of channels. Um, so, you know, really being intentional with the storylines that we're encouraging influencers to post about is just more important than ever. I think to Audrey's point as well, um, in terms of that, like authenticity or just realness, like moving away from this really polished, which I think is like an evolution of like the kind of Photoshop nature of like celebrity magazines and things like that. It's like people just want the real. And that's why I think um like blooper or behind the scenes content does so well as well because it's like you see what actually goes into into making these videos and that's just quite quite fun to, I, I enjoy watching it myself um because you see the finished product but you kind of know that the journey of it was the more the fun bit like that you know what happened to get to that point was a really like exciting thing and I think what we've also seen is um, going back to that people side of things, um, like I used to work for one of the big um, British supermarkets, Tesco, and they actually, because they have got so many stores, there are so many colleagues within those stores that are starting to have their own um, social media fan pages because they're known as like the tannoy guy, like, you know, the one who's always like saying funny things on the tannoy. And I think those ones are almost like gold dust because it shows 
to a brand that a brand is made up of people as well um so like you know your company is like you are who and i over here in the uk is quite nice like waitrose for example they call um their employees partners and i think it's that kind of you're part of this and that's the kind of people like moving on from that ugc um even having things be less controlled by your marketing teams in that sense and having other people come to the forefront absolutely sorry i was muted myself there um yeah it's really an interesting place to be thinking about um the evolution of where influencers marketing started to where it has become and how um the unfiltered became the the thing that was so kind of um jarring or concerning in the beginning and and we've actually moved to this space where it's the the gold dust as you say or it's the it's like the goal and um it, it's an exciting time to be sort of moving to this place where influencers can truly influence um do you do you see or find success in bringing influencers sort of from behind the screen to in real life like i know you had mentioned um I'm trying to think, was it the, um, the, the football players, soccer players who like, um, went to the plasma donation centers? Um, are you, do you find effectiveness with that? Is that sort of a one-off thing? Um, speak I, a little I, bit about that. That'd be great. Um, I think there is, again, I think it depends on, you know, who they are as well, because like some, oh, I don't know what's happened. I think I'm like, <laughs> Um, the light's gone <laughs> well I think hopefully can you're you good. still you're good yeah okay yeah um so um now I've obviously lost my train of thoughts um, yeah. um so yes absolutely but I think it depends on the influencer because some influencers ironically enough are introverts as well and so it depends on the situations that you put them into I would say just like any other talent so some people love it and then that's great and I think where they've got um kind of fans followers they would really appreciate meeting them so when we were filming in the Alps um, for a lot of our content. Like, you know, we work with some talent, like we literally get people coming up, oh my God, you were like my hero. And like, you know, that's what they were going for. So um, yeah, ha like hundred percent as long as it's right. Mm -hmm. Anything yeah. for you, Audrey? I see you have a thought brewing. <laughs> <laughs> it's percolating. Um... Yeah, I think it's gold dust or striking the right balance um, between ensuring our uh, clients' goals are being met while also giving creator partners the power to do what they do and create content that they feel will resonate best with their audience. Uh, I think Carrie said this, that you know we're looking to them to be the experts on what's going to resonate best with their followers. Um, and for brands, I think that does mean letting go a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, as as Carrie mentioned, the results will speak for themselves. Um, I think one of the ways that we try and strike that balance is um, in that brief briefing process, um, including prompts, that then the creator has the freedom to take that prompt and do what they 
feel is best with it. So one of the campaigns we're currently working on is a consumer product that one typically would use when they're sick. Um, so our prompt is for parent influencers to share about um, personal experiences or memories of maybe their grandma used to use this product with them when they were kids and they were sick. And now as parents, how are they using it with their kids? And I think that sense of realness and tapping into that personal story, um, you know, that's going to be what gener gen generates genuine <laughs> excitement and, you know, is is more of an authentic endorsement of the product um, that then will ideally translate into uh, solid results. Absolutely. Those meaningful connections that we are all seeking in 2024. So <laughs> uh, you gave us a, a wonderful place to sort of start to, to tie up, though we could talk about um, you know, influencer stories and campaign stories all day long and, and exchange them, I'm sure. Um, it is really an exciting time to think about um, just this evolution to um, leveraging real people to tell real stories um, and in finding, you know, safe ways to incorporate them into brand stories is really a, a cool horizon to be on. So um, parting thoughts from either one of you before we sign off. I don't know. Carrie? Difficult one. <laughs> um, I think for any brands wanting to dip their toe into influencer marketing, it's stay true to your brand um, and focus on what you're looking to deliver and what is going to help deliver that. So an example is Threads launched. And everyone's like, oh my God, I've got to be on threads. It's like, hang on, breathe. Is it right for your audience? Is it where you need to be? And focus on doing one, two channels where your audience is really prevalent well than trying to be everywhere that's the latest trend because social media is built on trends and it is always changing and you can always chase them, chase the next one. Just focus on what's right. Um, experts should advise you on the right channels, the right influences, and if it is indeed the right strategy. So that's mine. Authenticity, being authentic to yourself and choosing the authentic channels to that brand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Audrey, anything else from you before we sign off? That is uh, perfect uh, from Carrie. I think too, um, you know, consumers are smart. Um, they can sniff out uh, when they're being sold something. I know when I'm scrolling through my Instagram, I can certainly tell. I usually like or engage if it's an influencer. I want to make sure that, you know, they're they're getting that engagement for their brand partnership. But I think, you know, the the more real you can allow an influencer to be um, while also remaining true, as Carrie said, to what the brand objectives are and ensuring that that messaging is aligned on and, um, you know, those parameters and guardrails are up. Um, you know, I think that's really where, where we see influencer marketing be so successful. Um, so yeah, as marketers and brands, um, we need to remember that 
consumers follow influencers for their recommendations and trust their opinions. And so, you know, we really uh, need to tap into that. And that's where um, we really start to see the results. Well, thank you both for being here. Thank you to Havas Red for sponsoring today's episode. Um, lots more information on Sway on their website. Um, Carrie, Audrey, it has been lovely. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking about influence marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you, Megan. And thank you, Provoke. Um, This has been fun. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.